0: Welcome to Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened, where Tanner talks about stuff that happened. I'm Tanner, and I'm going to be talking about stuff that happened today. And the stuff that happened today that we're going to be talking about is the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria-Hungary. Austria-Hungary doesn't exist anymore. Why doesn't it exist well, because of World War One, And why did World War One happen? Well, we're going to talk about that today. Now, a reminder that this podcast is not intended to be an incredibly crazy detailed report on all of the events I give. I'm essentially trying to give you a general understanding of the events that took place that I talk about. Not meant to be a college dissertation, just a crash course for maybe your average college freshman who needs the answers to some kind of test. So... Let us get started. To make sure we understand not just what happened, but why it happened, we gotta go back about 11 years before the actual assassination takes place, and this begins with a Serbian military coup. Now, first things first, got to figure out where Serbia is. So, Serbia is located in an area of the world called the Balkan States, and is located on, on, on the Balkan Peninsula. If you're not familiar with what the Balkan Peninsula is, that is where Greece, Romania, Bulgaria, the northern tip of Turkey is where all those countries are located. If you look at Italy and you go east, that is the Balkan Peninsula. Uh, Serbia is located, generally speaking, in the center of the Balkan Peninsula, right below where modern-day Hungary is. Now, following that, we have to discuss what a military coup is. Now, people have heard of a military coup. They're familiar with basically what happens. It's not a good political thing. Essentially, what a military coup is when the military... uh, Decides that they've had enough with the current regime, and they decide to institute their own regime change by overthrowing the government, generally by killing those in charge. So, the Serbian military coup, this specific Serbian military coup happened in 1903, and a bunch of officers stormed the Serbian royal palace, they murdered the pro-Austria-Hungarian king and queen, and instituted a pro-Russia king, who was also highly nationalist. Austria-Hungary wasn't very happy with the fall of one of their puppet governments. So, Austria-Hungary, three years later, retaliates with something that we now call the Pig War. The Pig War happened in 1906, and it was a trade war where the Habsburgs, the Habsburgs were the ruling family of Austria-Hungary, all the way from the 13th century to the end of the First World War. Um, The Habsburgs unsuccessfully attempted to blockade all sale of pork in Serbia. Serbia... Assuming the position of the youngest child, annoyed by a big brother figure, dictating his every move, took advantage during the widespread condemning of Austria-Hungary's annexation of Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia's northwest neighbor, in 1908. In 1908, Austria-Hungary basically decided, We like Herzegovina and Bosnia, so they are going to be part of our country now. Uh, Serbia joined France, Italy, Russia, and Britain in viewing this annexation as a violation of the Treaty of Berlin, which was signed in 1878, following the Russo-Turkish War, which lasted from 1877 to 1878. Uh, This treaty had granted Bosnia and Herzegovina partial autonomy after that war... Um, and under the treaty, Austria-Hungary could occupy the two territories, but the treaty did not give Austria-Hungary power to annex them entirely. To annex uh, territories, basically, to make them part of your country. This became known as the Bosnian Crisis, and it was a significant factor in the geopolitical tensions which led up to the outbreak of the First World War back then known as the Great War. Uh, Another collection of events that led to uh, this Serbian national identity, which inspired the small band of Serbian and Bosnian nationalists to formulate a plan of political terrorism, was the Balkan Wars. In 1912, the small coastal nation of Montenegro declared war on the Ottoman Empire. Montenegro is a tiny country. The Ottoman Empire is an enormous country. So who could have thought that montenegro would be the one to instigate a war with such a large territory well this was because there was a secret alliance between montenegro serbia and bulgaria and after the ottomans began fighting montenegro serbia and bulgaria quickly joined into this fight and together the three of them drove the ottomans out of the balkan states almost entirely they were also assisted by the Greeks. Together, they drove the Ottomans nearly out of the Balkans and into Anatolia, which is modern-day Turkey, and by May 1913, this had all taken place. But if this wasn't enough, Bulgaria, pretty unsatisfied with its gains from the war, launched an attack against Serbia in June of 1913. Remember, the first Balkan War ended in May of 1913. Bulgaria launched an attack against Serbia in June of 1913, only a month later. The rest of the Balkan states saw this as a blatant violation of civilized diplomacy, and they all pounced on Bulgaria. The war was over in less than two months, and the conflicts would become known as the Balkan Wars. Conquering the land that the Ottomans had possession of for centuries preceding these events, and then stomping out the stubborn Bulgarian military further instilled a sense of national pride in the Serbian populace. The Pig War and the Bosnian crisis angered the Serbian people against the Habsburgs, and the wars with the Ottomans and Bulgaria reaffirmed their constitution as a state. So this anger combined with this nationalist pride led to the creation of several subversive radical groups, seeking not just to be a thorn in the side of Austria-Hungary, but to bring about revolutionary change in governance— Most notably, and for reasons that will quickly be made obvious, a Serbian organization known as the Black Hand and a Bosnian organization known as Young Bosnia. Both would later be known as terrorists by some and heroes by others. The story we are going to be focusing primarily on today begins in uh, 1913. So at this time, Austria-Hungary was ruled by Franz, uh, Franz Joseph I. Considered to be a reactionary ruler, he was not well-liked in political circles outside of Austria-Hungary, seeing the unrest in Serbia, and knowing his standing among Bosnians was not remarkably high at the time, shortly following this annexation, he ordered his nephew, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, to travel to Sarajevo to observe military drills taking place and open a new state museum the following June in 1914. Franz Ferdinand was very politically active, and he had worked with a group of scholars and lawyers to present a collection of reforms to the Austro-Hungarian High Court, favoring increased federalism and a greater Austro-Hungarian expansion. Franz Ferdinand had a point. Federalizing the nation could lead to lessened tensions between the diverse ethnic groups, dotting the large swaths of territory governed by the Habsburgs at the time. Austria-Hungary was a large country. But such reforms would stifle any hope of further Serbian expansion and cause complacency in the new Bosnian residents, only five years deep into their Austro-Hungarian citizenship. Serbian nationalists didn't like the idea of their new empire being contained, and Bosnian nationalists feared the complacency of their people if given too much quarter by the new regime. Franz Ferdinand was on his way to Sarajevo and a select few radicals among the Bosnian and Serbian patriots decided now was the time for action. The anger from the annexation and the trade wars, the newfound national pride discovered in fresh military might, and the possibility of Franz Ferdinand's policies being put into place lit a fire beneath the nationalists and the dominoes began to fall. As I stated before, Among these secret radical groups, present in the Balkans at the time, existed the Black Hand and the Young Bosnians. Though these groups never claimed direct responsibility for the assassination, many of the men who carried it out were members of one society or the other. It's very commonly believed that that the two conspired together to cause the event. Once the stages of planning were completed, word spread like wildfire through both societies, reaching the ears of three Young Bosnian Serbs, Serbs, among these, a 19-year-old member of the young Bosnians named Gavrilo Prisip. Prisip lived in Serbia at the time, and once he caught wind of the plot, he quickly decided that he wanted in on the action. So he contacted a well-connected guerrilla fighter he knew who assisted him in reaching an agreement with the organizers to transport arms to Sarajevo, and in return, he would be able to participate in the assassination. On the 4th of June, Gavrilo Princip, along with five other assassins, disembarked in Sarajevo and finalized their preparations for the attack. The Archduke's plan was to inspect the barracks and then use a motorcade to be transported to Town Hall, where he would deliver a speech. It was during this exchange that the assassins would act. All had been equipped with a Browning FN Model 1910, ammunition, hand grenades, a special map with the locations of safe houses and suicide pills in case the plan were to go awry. During the next month, the assassins visited nearby family and wrote notes to their loved ones in preparation for the act they were about to commit. On the morning of Sunday, June 28, 1914, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, accompanied by his beloved wife Sophie, arrived in Sarajevo and began attending to their royal duties. Now, I say beloved wife not because, not for emotional effect, but... Franz Ferdinand's wife, Sophie, was not of royal blood, and so when Franz Ferdinand married her, he forfeited his posterity's chance to ascend to the throne. That was the terms that Franz Joseph had made them agree to when they were married. He made it very clear that if he was to marry Sophie, his royal bloodline would cease to exist. So this was a marriage of love and not a marriage of duty. I do want to make that clear. Around 9 a.m., the couple inspected the barracks in the city as planned, and at 10 a.m., they departed the barracks for Town Hall in a convertible car with the top down. The security forces of Sarajevo had declined to position troops, nearly 70,000 were present in the barracks inside the city, along the roads for protection as they feared this would offend the already disgruntled population of Bosnia. So, the task fell to the local police, of whom only about 60 were on duty at the time. The motorcade was met with several onlookers. Citizens viewed the procession from the windows of their homes, but the Archduke was not greeted with roaring applause. Austria-Hungary was not extremely favored at this time. This put pressure on assassins placed along the route. If they were to succeed, or worse, fail, escape was not going to be easy. The motorcade quickly passed the first and second assassins. Both failed to act due to the pressure of the situation and the realization of what they had agreed to do. When it reached the third assassin, Nadelko Kabernovich, he swallowed his nerves and threw a bomb into the street. His hands were shaking, and the bomb ricocheted off the back of the convertible and exploded beneath the car behind the archduke, wounding 15 to 20 onlookers absolutely mortified. Cabrinovich swallowed his cyanide pill and quickly jumped off a nearby bridge into a river intending to end his own life. But the cyanide in the capsule was old and ineffective, and the river was less than six inches deep. He was quickly taken into custody. Thinking the assassinated had already taken place because of the sound of the bomb, the last three assassins, Gavrilo Prisip among them, Prepared to exit the scene, only to witness the motorcade pass near them at a very high speed. En route to the town hall with Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife inside, both rattled but very much alive. The decision was made to quickly take the Archduke to a safer location and after giving a firm speech at the town hall, Franz and and Sophie Ferdinand gave up their daily program to visit the hospital where those wounded in the bombing had been taken. The motorcade of six automobiles, the Archduke in the third, took off at high speed in that direction, but there had been some confusion in the direction. The driver in the first car had not been informed of the change of plans and made a hard left turn where the previous route had taken him. Two cars back, the governor of Sarajevo, sharing a car with the Archduke, called out to the first driver that he was going the wrong way. The motorcade screeched to a halt. Gavrilo Princip had decided to ditch the initial plan altogether and take matters into his own hands. He had fully loaded his pistol and hidden inside a nearby deli along the planned route of the motorcade. As he watched the procession draw to a close, he prepared to act, only to have all six cars screech to a halt in front of the deli. Not allowing himself to hesitate, Prysep stepped onto the footboard outside the car door and fired two shots, one for the Archduke, and one for his wife. He then attempted to turn the gun on himself, but was apprehended quickly and taken into custody. The first shot had pierced Franz Ferdinand's jugular vein, and the other had found its mark in Sophie's abdomen. They were quickly taken to the hospital, but Sophie was dead before they arrived. Franz Ferdinand died ten minutes after reaching the building. His last words to Sophie were, Sophie, Sophie, don't die, live for our children. It was three days before their anniversary. They left behind three children. The assassination was met with outcry in Austria-Hungary, with citizens who wanted heads to roll. Gavrilo Prisip was tried and found guilty of high treason, sentenced to 20 years in solitary confinement deep in Austria-Hungary. The reason he was not sentenced to death was because in Austria-Hungary, the minimum age of uh, the death penalty was 20 at the time. Gavrilo was only days from turning 20, but he was still 19 when he committed the crime. So he got a 20-year sentence. But he would never see the end of it. He was going to die in prison four years later of tuberculosis because of the harsh conditions he was put in. The Archduke's death set off a chain reaction of events leading to the July Crisis of 1914, where nations across Europe went to war. With Gavrilo being considered a Serbian nationalist, Austria-Hungary considered this an act of war and demanded that Serbia take full responsibility for the assassination, but Serbia, ever the stubborn younger sibling, refused. On the 28th of July, one month after the assassination, Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia. Russia, friendly to Serbia, mobilized its troops against Austria-Hungary. Germany allied with Austria-Hungary, considered this to be an act of war and mobilized against Russia. And on August 1st, Germany and Russia declared war on one another. On August 3rd, Germany declared war on France and Belgium, and in response, Great Britain declared war on Germany. In a single week, nearly all of Europe had become embroiled in a conflict that would cost the lives of 16 million people and involve the armed forces of 32 countries. Gavrilo Preissip, locked away in solitary confinement, heard very little of the outside world. During a prison interview, he said he had heard something of a war, but no details. It was only just before his death that he learned the full consequences of his actions. And when asked if he felt guilty about what he'd done, Gavrilo claimed... The war was bound to happen independent of my actions, so I cannot feel myself responsible for the catastrophe. When asked what he did feel, he simply told the interviewer that he missed his family and thought of them often. It's amazing that six teenage anarchists could trigger such a destructive conflict. That is it for the show today. Uh, hope you enjoyed. Hope you enjoy. Uh, if you enjoy, please leave a review and check out the rest of the episodes. Um, I'm just starting out with this podcast. There is a lot to learn, and I'm excited to keep learning it. If you're listening now, you're here at the very beginning. So please continue forward. Keep listening to what I keep listening to the stories of history that I will be presenting to you. Crash course, not extremely detailed, detailed enough to get the full gist, and. Have a decent understanding of what happened in history because history, in my opinion, is extremely important. All right, this is Tanner Tate talking about stuff that happened, signing off for the day. I will catch you next week. Bye bye.